Hey, Taylor. How are you, girl? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. You know, just trying to live the dream and kill the game every day. Yeah, I feel that. (laughs) How's how's been training your classes going? It's been going really well. Um, I actually just took a week off, though, from training to go on a little vacation. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Where'd you go? I went out to uh, Breckenridge, actually, to do some camping out in the mountains. It was pretty spectacular, kind of cold. I mean, Breck is already. Beautiful. Yeah, Breck is yeah. very beautiful. That's awesome. That's awesome. What was the best part about your trip? Um, Probably just getting to disconnect from the world for a little while and, uh, you know, really enjoy my surroundings and um, just one with nature a little too one with nature um my tent kind of gave out at the very end there we went to the primitive campgrounds and it got a little sketchy oh i'm sorry i've definitely had that happen before bad tents and bad camping gear makes for an epic trip no bueno sometimes (laughs) but definitely an epic trip oh yeah uh and it was kind of it was good timing because it was there at the very end, but I'm definitely going to have to do some replacing in some of my gear. I know you are into that kind of stuff, right? Like, do you have any recommendations? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of Nemo. Uh, they kind of came on the scene a little while ago and they've been around for a while, but their tents are awesome. And it's funny enough, the owner of the company had an experience much like you and it just, failed him and he was infuriated with it and then so then he set out to create amazing amazing products and if you're going to be doing like a lot of backpacking you know they make an aurora that is really good um but i would definitely check them out and if you decide to purchase anything from them if you use the promo code sends and suffers 20 you get 20 percent off you help the podcast okay i'm sold i'm definitely checking this out all right Well, hey, I look forward to seeing you in the gym later on this week, and I'm still excited. I'm going to try to catch one of your fitness classes, but i got to jump off here. But uh, it's good catching up with you, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Sounds great. I'll see you later. Friends and enemies, lovers and haters, welcome to Sends and Suffers Podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. If you haven't already, please click that subscribe button, click the like button, please leave a comment, and share this podcast with your friends. The only way this podcast grows is by your help getting it out there. I'm just making it and putting it out there because I vibe on what this whole podcast is because I just want to make friends and I want to engage with people. And I really want to give you guys the opportunity to meet members of the community that are not always out there. I want to meet the secret crushers. I want to meet the locals that make climbing happen. That's what Sends and Suffers is all about. We're all about understanding the send and suffering that makes these unique people in this adventurous world that we love them. So please do your part by following, liking, subscribing, doing a comment, doing all the things. Today's episode is with a gentleman that kind of just walked into the gym and stole my heart. I want to introduce One Leg Craig. One Leg Craig is a seasoned climber. And for those of you out there who are old heads, you probably know this guy. Currently stationed in Puerto Rico, is an amazing climber. And he was in the gym setting up a system for climbers who are wheelchair bound, who do not have use of their torso or their leg, and setting up a system for them to climb. I've seen this done in real life a few other times, but I was immediately enamored when the man walked in with one leg, setting up something for people who can't use their legs. Shortly after some bromance and some history being thrown around and two old dinosaurs talking, 
I convinced them to come into the home studio and just do a session. I hope you enjoy this episode. This is just two dudes sitting around, reminiscing about rock climbing, getting to know each other, and a friendship is born. Where's the clap? Yeah, okay. Nicely. Greg, how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. We literally met yesterday. Yeah, that was pretty, that was very random too. Yeah, I think it was. You know, it's funny. You say it's random for me. It's pretty normal because. Okay. Um, the, uh, just, and we'll give everybody some quick backstory of how we met and then we'll actually go into introduction. But, um, in the climbing gyms, if there is anyone that walks in that actually like knows what they're doing and it's like, Hey, I want to do this thing. Like we have this guy who comes in all the time and like, I like him. He's a nice guy, but I'm like, you cannot practice aid climbing in the gym. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, not he, the place. Yeah. And he's just like, it is a form of climbing. I'm like, I get that. But yep. this is one of the arguments where like running an indoor gym, like the modernization of the indoor gym is on the way the same as the modernization of the ski slopes are. Right. It's a business. Yeah. And I don't want to have to explain to some guy who's like going to go on Amazon and buy aid climbing equipment and then wants to start aiding in the gym with no protection whatsoever. Right. Or things that he knows how to set up a self-arresting system. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. But you were setting up, can you, um, one, uh, just well, who are you? Where are you from? A little backstory. And then what were you doing in the gym? Cause I, I have something I want to segue into that. Okay. Uh, my name is Craig DiMartino. Um, and I currently live in Puerto Rico with my wife. Uh, and I do. So to, to explain why I was in the gym was I work with a nonprofit that's based in, uh, Denver, Colorado, and we do adaptive sports for the VA, um, all over the lower 48 and Hawaii and Puerto Rico and Alaska. So what I do is I go, so in Puerto Rico, we run programs every week with the veterans there. We take them climbing. Um, We specialize in physical disabilities and we kind of, so physical disabilities and then a lot of PTSD. So I'm able to take them climbing and show them like, Hey, this is a sport that can help your quality of life be better. can help your PTSD be a little bit less while we're doing it. Um, Teach them kind of like techniques to help them navigate um, their life and their disability. And so I came to Dallas to work with the VA here and also Adaptive Adventures is partnered with REI. And so nationally, they do a lot for Adaptive Adventures. And so we are, there's two other guys here working as well. They're doing some bike stuff there right now. And then we're doing like a question and answer thing that was supposed to be like an hour and now has morphed into like many longer yeah so So that's the thing at rei tonight that's it it's actually i thought it was tonight but they're like no dude it's like three o'clock so you got to be here at 2 30 i'm like glad we asked glad we talked about that so there you go yeah i think this is the thing that they've mailed out a bunch of flyers about um for their co-op members it's like the insider insider weekend or something which i'm psyched that they're doing this it's good it's it's a good it's cool it's i like when people are um trying you know like trying to understand different worlds and and try to make that a little bit more normal and that's kind of me being an adaptive climber and having having to do so many different things it's it's nice to see other people going oh yeah we should actually should pay attention to that yeah 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 i think that kind of segues into uh what you were setting up in the gym yes so what were you setting up and can you just explain that for a sec so we had one of the veterans uh is a wheelchair user uh he has paralysis. He's, he's not like a paraplegic. He's, I, I would actually call him like an incomplete para. So meaning he can s- sort of stand up. His spine doesn't quite work the way it should. So he doesn't have like the ability to walk across the floor, but he, mm-hmm. so he's in a power chair that said he can transfer himself out of the power trail chair into what I call, uh, and what the manufacturer calls an easy seat. And an easy seat is something that allows a wheelchair user to, on a fixed line, I set up a, basically a three to one mechanical advantage mm-hmm. off of the climbing gyms, top rope systems. And then they climb up my static rope that is attached to the top of the top rope system. So I don't circumvent any of the gym's safety protocols. I'm basically just using their system. I'm just adding onto it at, at the climber end, mm-hmm. um, giving a mechanical advantage so that this 
individual could then basically, once I transfer him into the easy seat, he can Jumar up a fixed static rope that is taking two thirds of his weight. So it allows him to get out of his chair really fast, get up in the air really fast and enjoy that kind of like, oh, God, I'm up in the air flying. That, that's actually what he said to me. He was so yeah. jazzed. I mean, he was 30 feet in the air. I mean, I, I saw him come in and, you know, I have no idea how far people are going to get, but he got Same. a lot higher than Same. I thought, because, you know, you and I briefly talked about it, like maybe halfway. And Same. I mean, he's basically 70% up the wall when I turned around from coaching kids and I was like, oh, he's moving. <laughs> he, and he was stoked. He was moving. And like I was helping, the, he did it twice in the first round. I helped him quite a bit with another Jumar underneath him. He, he can't tell what I'm doing, but I'm definitely yeah. helping him. Second time I was like, I'm just going to see what he does. And he went probably two thirds of the way up again. And he was just, just chugging. And I'm like, dude, that's, and like I said to you early on, I was yeah. like, I don't think he's going to be into this, but like I was totally wrong. Oh, no. I was wrong. Yeah. It was his jam. I know. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think this is the thing that, um, I really like how you brought up in the beginning. It's like introducing more people to adaptive sports. And I think from a gym staff point of view, and I've been working in commercial climbing gyms my entire career. I mean, from, I got inspired to start my guiding company because working in this, but what I've learned is Commercial climbing gyms just don't know anything outside of what, what quote unquote normal walks yep. through their door. Yep. And then it is a full out panic and David and the rest of the staff did a great job. You know, I just, you know, they didn't, I just so happened to walk in to coach something else and work on something else. And that was amazing. That saved me yesterday. Oh yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Cause they, they immediately, David looked at me and he's like, Mario, you're old as dirt. You've been around. <laughs> can you, can you tell me if this is legit, what this guy is doing? I'm like, well, what's happening? He's like, it's an adaptive thing with the veterans. And like, you know, they've said they've had this thing going on before. And, and I was like, okay, well, what organization is it? And I hadn't heard of it yet because I've, I've worked with, um, you know, uh, adaptive athletes that have been around here yeah. and we uh, helped start a, uh, an adaptive program called go beyond climbing. Mm -hmm. But I hadn't heard of you guys. And then when I walked up and I looked at your rig, I was like, okay, he immediately knows what you're doing. And then you started explaining it. I was like, okay, we're going to move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, going on. Yeah. I was like, I knew you knew what you were doing. And David was awesome. Cause he was like, you know, he's in, he's in like rocking a hard place. Right. He's like, I, I, I'm like have to say what the gym needs me to say. He's like, even if I look at this and go, this looks legit. He's like, I need someone who knows that it's legit to check yeah. off. And I'm like, dude, I get it totally. So yeah. 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 That was good timing. Yeah, it was. It was very, the universe was with us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and it's funny right, when you and I were talking shop about like Eli, knowing Eli, knowing other people yep. in the climbing industry. Yeah. David was just like, why do I feel like I just got schooled on like 20 years of rock climbing? And he's like, you guys were just talking about all this stuff. And I was, I told David, I was like, you probably heard like at least like, 20 years worth of random names absolutely. and people and just absolutely. events crossing each other. And you know how it is. Like if you've climbed for any amount of time, I mean, I've climbed my whole life and it's like, it's a small world, man. It it's is. like the core group of climbers. It's tiny. I think, you know, I, we go everywhere in the world and you're like, oh, hey, there's so-and-so. Yeah. It's like, it's just, that's the way it is. It's, and I love that. It's like the tribe is not as big as it seems. I think people like it's in the Olympics and it's, and climbing is very much changed, but it's like that core group of yeah i think that yeah it, I, I hate to use this person as an example um for multiple reasons but like like bella caroli mm. in um gymnastics like there was only a few of him correct a few of those people around um and i feel like in climbing like you are correct like the core group of people and i think it's bigger than people realize because it is regional but at the same totally. time it's like it's a very small network of circles yep. and I've definitely had that experience before traveling in Spain, traveling in Europe. I've yep. like gone to the local climbers bar and like in two minutes, like hear someone mention someone else's name. So I'm like, wait a minute, you know, so-and-so. Absolutely. So, and I can't tell you how many nights that's got me a couch and a hot shower. Exactly. And like, even yesterday you brought up Jeremy. It's like, there's always like that six degrees. It's like, oh, you know, this person that I know. And then we're, you know, it's easy to make those jumps really fast. Could, could Jeremy be the next Kevin Bacon? Jeremy could be. Does he look like Kevin Bacon? I mean, he does have six degrees to a he lot does. of people. Like Jeremy I, knows everybody. I, I will admit that. Yeah. Jeremy it Collins is. is probably one of the most, 
like I feel like you either know him, or you know of him, correct, or you have run with someone who has been mentored, inspired, or like correct just that. But like the man has been around for a long time. He, he has. I mean, he. I've been climbing thirty two years. I think he's been climbing longer than me. Really? Maybe. I don't know. Like someone that else wrong? was telling me. I don't know. Well, I have to, to ask think, him like, that. I, I know Jeremy because I chased all his routes in Sam's throne. Like when I started climbing, I liked all his routes. Cause in my, I use this term. It's always like Jeremy's routes are like butt puckering scary. Sometimes <laughs> you gotta like be committed to do it. You gotta want to do it. Yeah. And I love that feeling and I love that sensation and they're all reasonable routes. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you can't back down. Like right. There is a point of no return. And I always chase his routes. And I remember a lot of the older guys always saying that he was just the young buck of the group. Oh and yeah. I'd like, and I like, I don't feel that he's that. I think he's like right in that middle range. Like there's like, he's not quite an elder. Right. Yet. And he's hard to, he's got a young, uh, or he's got an old soul. So mm-hmm. he's all, the very first time I ever met him, I was like, oh my God, this, I feel like I've known this guy forever. I met him at uh, OR in Salt Lake. And this is, shoot, I don't even know how many years ago it is. And I just remember thinking, God, you feel like when you meet him, you're like, I feel like I've known you forever. And yeah. it's like, he's just got that vibe, which is super nice, I think. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, I, it makes Weird. sense. I would agree. I would definitely agree. That's like how, when I finally met him, I was like definitely fanboying, but then within 10 minutes of conversation, I was like, you know, my girlfriend at the time was telling me, she was like, you went from like super fanboy to like real, like you guys were just talking shop. And I was right. like, I kind of forgot who I was talking to. Right. So, which yeah. is easy. Yeah. Which is easy. So now, um, I guess just because obviously my audience has no idea who you are and they're learning or they do know you and they're rooting and hollering in the background. (laughs) Um, so how did you become an adaptive athlete? I mean, you're a good one. Was it, was it born accident or no? So in, uh, 2002, uh, was living in Colorado. My wife and I had lived in Colorado, have lived in Colorado for the past, I don't know, God, 30 years, long time. And, um, I was climbing in Rocky mountain national park Mm -hmm. with a really great friend of mine. And we were out at Sundance buttress and he and I had been that my kids were really young at the time. And so we, my wife and I would just like trade days. So uh, I would climb sense. one day and then, yeah. So she's a core climber as well. Climbed as long as I have. We met in a climbing gym, oddly enough. Mm. Um, not oddly, pretty normal, I think. Um, kind of. Kind of. Yeah. So we were climbing, my friend Steve and I, and um, we walked out to this cliff. We walked out to Sundance Buttress, which is the last um, kind of egg-shaped granite dome on uh, Lumpy Ridge. Mm-hmm. And we, he wanted to try this route called white man. He had tried it before, but he kind of scared him a little bit. Gear was kind of funky. Mm-hmm. And he's like, if you lead it, I just want to top rope it a couple of times and see if I can get it dialed. And I was like, that's cool. Let's do that. So we go out there. And as we went out, he just said again, he's like, I just want to top rope it. And I'm like, great, no worries. And so I rack up and it was, it's, you know, I've thought about this thousands of time, times. Like I was, you know, that nervous, you get that kind of belly where you're just kind of like you're excited but you're nervous Mm -hmm. i've when i'm launching into like a route that i don't know and trying to on-site and all that stuff i usually get that that day it just felt like a little bit heavier than normal and so ignored it and tied in took off the pitch is 100 feet and i'll be able to tell you that reason that i know that got to the anchor and when i there's two it's a two bolt anchor Mm -hmm. clipped in uh, went in direct to the bolts, yelled down that I was uh, off belay and safe. And Steve uh, took me off belay and went to get his shoes, which is pretty normal. And in my brain, I was thinking, okay, now he wants to top rope it. So I'm just going to set up a top rope here and then I'll just lower down, belay him from the ground. Everything will be great. He'll see if he wants to lead it. I, I wasn't sure what he wanted to do if after he top roped it. So got it all ready to lower, uh, yelled back down to Steve and I said, okay, all, uh, I'm all good. And he's, he kind of, there was like a little bit of a delay and he said, okay, you're, uh, you're good. And so that's all I heard. I couldn't see him. The route's pretty steep. Oh, okay. So I couldn't see him. So in his mind, he was thinking, okay, I'm going to climb up to the ledge and we'll come, we'll wrap down together. And I was thinking, okay, Steve's going to now lower me and then I'll blame him from the ground. So we never clarified that. And that was this really kind of small miscommunication just between two guys that climbed together all the time, just you know, lots of slang, all that good stuff, very comfortable with each other. Both been climbing a long time. At that point, I think he had been climbing probably over 20 years and I was climbing like 13 or 14 years. So everything 
seemed pretty normal. Um, so when I heard, okay, you're good, I reached out, uh, the route that the anchor was to the left of the crack. And so it's probably four feet to the left. And I reached out and just cause I was just making sure he had me, I pulled on the rope. Um, and what I felt was a hundred feet of rope hanging down between about 15 pieces of gear. So I felt like a bit of friction there. I felt some weight. And in reality, what that was, was the weight of the rope yeah. just didn't dawn on me at that point. So I just said, okay, I pulled in, unclipped and I sat back. Unbeknownst to me, he was still sitting at his backpack, not, didn't have me on, wasn't tied into the other side of the rope yet. And, um, I just start falling. And so I fell the first 10 feet pretty quickly. And I remember thinking, oh shit, he just has a big like loop of slack out and it's going to just snap pretty quick here. And so I actually started getting ready for that and it didn't, I, I didn't even start to slow down. I started to speed up and I was like, okay, maybe he fell. Cause I actually had that happen to me once a, a friend of mine tripped and fell when he was lowering me and he fell into the cliff. And so I fell like really quickly, but then stopped and mm-hmm. uh, went, when the Grigri stopped and he, I thought, okay, maybe Steve tripped sliding, whatever. And, uh, that wasn't happening. And then I realized, oh shit, something's wrong. And so I was still vertical and I was still pretty close to the cliff. And so I didn't, couldn't remember. I knew I had passed some like kind of ledgy areas and I didn't, I was afraid I was going to hit the ledges going down. I didn't think I was going the whole way. And I pushed just to kind of see where I was going. And I, and I looked kind of to climber left to see what was happening. And it tipped me over to the left and I started falling then horizontally. And so now I'm like from the anchor about halfway down, I tipped side, whoops, tipped yeah, sideways did. and just kept falling, falling, falling. At about 20 feet from the ground, there was a dead tree that the route actually started to the right of. And I hit that tree with my head and the tree stood me right back up. It also probably slowed me down a little bit. Probably a lot. I know, right? Because it smacked me right in the side of the face and it stood me back up and I landed standing pretty much straight up and down, pretty much where I started the route from. And uh, crumpled when I hit uh, all talus blocks. Uh, I exploded both ankles. Um, so compound fractures of my ankles and my tibia and fibular shockwave kind of kept going up, broke the ribs on my right side and then broke my back at L2 and crushed it at L2. So I don't even have it anymore. They put a cage in there and built a good like little bridge for me. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, the shockwave keeps going up, broke my neck at C6, C5, C6, which is right through your Adam's apple, uh, tore my labrum in my elbow or my shoulder. And then I, must have put my arm straight down a, like as a shock absorber because uh, I just kind of kept folding down like an accordion into the ground um, and then just fell over backwards and just laid there and severed the artery in my right leg. So I was bleeding just all over the place. And Steve is just like, oh, shit. And so he runs over and he had a little bit of medical training. He kind of had done some woofer stuff and mm-hmm. he knew he knew what to do. So he quickly put a tourniquet on with a sling uh, and a stick. And we were, Sundance is about four miles back in. And he's like, dude, we got to get help. Like, we got to go. And so he's like, I'm going to make you as comfortable as I can. Um, this is 2002. That's, that's the other weird thing. And um, he got me comfortable. And he's like, I'm going to run to your truck. I parked my truck. He was going to run to my truck and drive into Estes. And we walked in. It took us 45 minutes. We were clipping. He thought he could get there in a half hour, drive into town, another 15 minutes, try to get help. It was going to take some time and I was bleeding pretty badly still. Um, he just like makes me as comfortable as he can and he just splits. And the next thing I know, he's back. And it was like in my brain, cause you're in a big fog yeah. and I'm like, that was ungodly fast. Like what the hell? And he's like, I have a cell phone with me. And I was like, oh shit. And he pulls out a cell phone and turns it on, dials 911 right next to this cliff and he gets a signal and he gets right through and they pick up. And they're, um, they're like, we're going to patch you through to Rocky Mountain Rescue. So they do all the rescues in the park. The dude who picks up the phone there, this is a Saturday. He picks up the phone. His name's Eric Gabriel. He's a climber. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what route are you at? And Steve tells me, he's like, don't move. I'm on my way. I know right where you are. So he started the wheel turning then. He started the rescue part. He drove in through a, a access road. So I fell at about 2.30. Mm-hmm. And Eric was at my side by 3 o'clock. Jesus which is Christ, uh, I know it's fucked up, right? Like he is in the back country that fast and he's just, and he's an EMT. So he's just like, he gets there and he's like, oh shit. Like he's fucked up. Like this is bad. And so he starts to do his prep work 
And he, uh, th- so he, I was very awake and he was like, okay, dude, like, what can we do? And, and at that point, my back, if the, I didn't know my feet were even broken because I couldn't see down. Um, and my feet, I hit so hard, my shoes exploded. And Whoa. so my shoes were still on, but I always think of it as like those old roadrunner cartoons where the, f- the feet blow off. Like that's what it looked like. And so he said, I'm going to cut your shoes off and then let's move you. And Steve had already moved me a little bit because um, I felt like I had a rock in my back, um, which was my broken back. And uh, so Eric got me a little bit more comfortable. And then once the glitter got there and they started kind of prepping me to get me out, he said, you want me to call your wife? And I was like, oh, no, that's a terrible idea, dude. Let's like, let's not do that yet. And um, I just didn't think I was hurt that bad. I just thought my back yeah. was fucked up. And uh, he's like, okay, cool. And so they got me on a litter and, you know, they had to lower you. They can't just like carry you because it's all talus blocks and stuff. And so they, they get me like halfway down this talus block field and Eric comes in my peripheral again. He's like, Hey man, it's going good. We're going to get you to the helicopter here. They're trying to get me to a clearing. And he's like, you want me to call your wife? And something in my gray matter clicked like, oh man, he asked me twice. I wonder, uh, I think maybe I'm hurt worse than I think I am. And I said, yeah, go ahead and call her. So then Steve called her and said, Craig broke his legs. He didn't say anything else. So she drove up. We were, uh, we, you could drive to where we, from our house to Estes in 35 minutes. And then okay. she sprinted into the, to where we were. And so next thing I know, man, my wife's like in my peripheral, like you're good. They're going to get you out of here. Kids are good. I'm just going to hang back and just follow. And so she was gone. And that's like my recollection until the helicopter and my feet, like I said, like I didn't know how bad they were broken. And when they were low, putting me into the helicopter, Hilo's running, you know, it's very chaotic. And there's a, they slide you in and there's a bulkhead and the, your feet go under the bulkhead and then they can still work on your upper torso. And so the flight nurse was in kind of off to my right. He was a rock star. He's like, you know, can't give you any pain meds yet because of your, uh, yeah, I punctured my lung. And he's like, you, you're having trouble breathing. So he's like, let's just see when we get you into the helicopter. And I'm like, okay, cool. And when they were loading me in the helicopter, my feet must've been up a little too high and they smacked the bulkhead with my toes. And I, that's when I realized, oh, my feet are broken. And um, I yelled and he was like, we're just going to go ahead and give you something. And that's the last thing I remember. The next thing I knew, I woke up in the ICU um, oh, on wow. a ventilator, couldn't breathe. Um, so they had me on a ventilator. They had fused my back already. My back, I broke my back so bad, like they had to go in and debreed it. So it takes about three hours of them picking the debris out of your spine. So they have to like, anywhere it touches your spine, you get paralysis. So I have like a spinal cord injury that's basically half, it's hemiparalysis. So half of me backwards, I can't feel. So like my butt, my back, my neck, and then I can't feel my real foot. Um, I kept my right leg for 18 months. They just said, basically, I lost too much blood. So they're like, we're just going to let it calm down. We're going to fuse your back. We're going to set your neck and we're going to wait. And then put you on a ventilator and see if you live for 24 hours. That's what they told my wife. And so she was, when I woke up, she was with me and the doc was with me. And, but again, you know, you don't know what's going on. You're just mm-hmm. kind of like, rah. And uh, then for five days, that was my life. So, you know, ventilator, pain meds, fog, you're just trying to cope. And then the fifth day they took the ventilator out and I could ask questions. And that was like sobering because they're just, my wife was like, I actually don't, they're not even telling me what's going on. Like that your back is broke real bad. Your neck's broke real bad. So we're just waiting to see. That's when she explained my feet to me. Um, they had reconstructed my left leg, uh, with, you know, hardware and screws and pins and all that stuff and plates. And my right leg was just so jacked up. It was, they, my doctor called it mashed potatoes on a stick. Uh-huh. Like it looked just like, it was just like misshapen and messed up. Um, but then they just, moved me out of ICU to orthopedic care for two weeks. And then for two months, I went to an extended care after that. So basically three months I was gone. So I went climbing on a Saturday, three months later, they let me out of the hospital to go home and like recover. (laughs) Well, what was left, um, which was horrible. I mean, it just sucked. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, you basically learn how to do life again. You do. You learn everything. You learn how to, and because I couldn't walk for, two months. So the third month is when I actually started to walk. I could stand again. Mm-hmm. 
And um, my left leg, they, uh, the three months I basically got out of the cast, my right leg never got out of a cast. So even when I went home, it was still in a cast. And they said, you know, we did, I think, 11 surgeries. And my doc was like, that's kind of all we can do. So he's like, you really, he's like, if you hit it again, it's going to probably break. He's like, if you step off a curb wrong, it's going to break. So he's like, you don't have to wear a cast all the time. And I was like, dude, that's like, I can't, that's such a horrible idea. Um, and I kind of wanted to go, I, I didn't know at the time I wanted to go back to climbing. I thought I'm curious still and let's just see where that goes. But then, uh, it just, my right leg just wasn't healing. Mm -hmm. And I went, my wife and I took our kids climbing up in Wyoming. Um, and I top roped this climb with my daughter. She was seven at the time or five at the time, something. And, um, oh, it was horrifying. It was just, I was certain that anchor was going to rip out. I was certain that cliff was going to tip over. I, all this, your brain is so frazzled and fried yeah. and you're trying to like, you're trying to enjoy it, but you're like, I can't enjoy it. This is so terrifying to me. And so I came down and I just told my wife, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I can climb anymore. And she was like, I get it. Like, we'll just, let's just see what happens and let, let's like not make any decisions. And you know, like a day would go by and I'm like, okay, see what happens and let's try it again. And I just did it. I would do that process over and over and horrify myself and say never. And then a day later I'd be like, eh, it's kind of cool. Like it felt sort of good. And, um, and I just did that for about a year and then my right leg just wouldn't heal. And I developed this nerve disorder and I get these like shattering pains, like in the right leg. Okay. And I was like, fuck, what is this? And so my doc was like, yeah. He's like, it's called reflective sympathetic dystrophy. He's like, there's no cure for it. He's like, it's because your nerve got so disrupted. We repat, we patched your nerve back up, but he's like, I'm, you know, he's like, I'm sorry. That's, I can't do much about that. You take drugs for it. And I was like, so is it going to heal anymore? And he's like, not really. Um, so then I was like, what if I amputate it? And he was like, it's a, it's a good idea. He's like, I can't tell you to do it, but he's like, look into it, research it. And so I started talking to athletes who uh, had amputated and come back were pretty active. Um, I didn't know any climbers. I knew one mountaineer who had done it. Um, and he was sort of climbing. He wasn't climbing a lot though. Mm -hmm. Um, but I talked to skiers and they, they were just like, Oh dude, just get your head around it and then do it. It seems super bad to do, but he's like, it's actually that two of these guys were like, it's, you'll be happy. So I was like, shit. Okay. Talked to my wife, obviously a lot about it. And, um, 18 months after the accident went in, amputated below the knee and then was climbing badly four months after that. Um, mm -hmm. just sorting it out again in my brain. And that was kind of that. it stayed like that then for a year and a half to two years where I was top roping, uh, cause my fusions in my back had to heal. My neck had to heal. This right leg had to heal. And then, uh, we were climbing in actually in Italy. And I remember thinking, Oh, I'm like, I'm starting to feel like better you know, like more normal. And, um, then I started leading again and then started kind of like bumping up through grades again and just mm -hmm. like trying to figure out where I settled in. And I had done a lot of wall climbing before that when I was younger climber, I loved it. And, um, started like kind of figuring out like, what, what do I want to do? Do I want to aid climb again? Do I want to just sport climb? What, yep. you know, what do I want to do? And, um, that led me to like friends in Yosemite and then started going back to Yosemite and climbing things in, on El Cap and just doing different things around the country. And then, um, Hans Florine and I became friends because he, I just happened to e email him. I was going to do a climbing comp, uh, adaptive climbing comp. It was a speed comp. And he, I was like, dude, I don't know how to speed climb at all. And so he had won the X games, I think twice. And yeah. he was like, Oh, just come out to California. And he's like, well, we'll climb El Cap together. And he's like, we'll do it in a day. And he's like, it'll be rad. And no, my cheese have done it. So he's like, it'll be super fun. And I'm like, I'm going to die. <laughs> Such a horrible idea. <laughs> and, I, and we joke about that still. And he's like, you didn't even tell me you were nervous. I'm like, well, dude, that's like the, you can't say that. That would be horrible. Like, I think we're going to die. <laughs> oh, that's so and good. I was just super fortunate. You know, I had my wife, who's my best friend. She was like super supportive. And then I had people like Hans and my climbing partners. And Cindy's my number one climbing partner. But like, you know, I had these wonderful people who were just like, yeah, let's just like go see what happens. And so. Hans and I did lurking fear in 14 hours. And then we did the nose in a day, um, in 13 hours. And then he was kind of like, just go do like 
what do you want to do? And I was like, I think it'd be cool to climb with just disabled athletes up here. Cause it was always like that. It was always like um, able-bodied person with a disabled person, like what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I knew two guys who were just as naive and dumb as I was. And I was like, I think we should just go do Zodiac. Like, what do you guys think? And so myself and Pete Davis and Jaron Fry went back like two years later and we did Zodiac together over five days, I think. Um, and it was a blast. Like, you know, eight climbing is yeah. freaking awesome. <laughs> it's like so rad. It's, it's a lot of fucking work. It's a lot of work, but it's shit, fun, dude, though. sitting on the portal edge at night, you're just like, it's amazing, dude. Yeah, it's amazing. No. I think that's the thing that people don't think about with like big wall and climbing. Like once people start actually understanding it, it's like, like mythical and romantic when you look at it. And then when you start getting into the weeds, you're like, this is a fuck yeah, ton of work. This is terrible. Who invented hauling? Yeah. And then you're, and then I was just, and then you're like, I'm basically, it's like cross between a construction worker, a garbage man. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then being a plumber. Yeah. And so like, you kind of like, you're just doing dog work all Shit, day. Yeah. But then if you have a little bit of blue collar streak joy in you, it is the most rewarding experience ever because yeah, you're just working your ass off all day. And it's, yeah. just, it's just you, you and your friends. Punctuated by bursts of being scared out of your mind. Yeah. Like, as you're just like fucking hooking. Oh my God, <laughs> this is so horrific. Oh, <laughs> uh, we did, when we did Zodiac, we had a film crew with us. We made a film called Gimp Monkeys. And Gimp Monkeys. Oh Gimp my Monkeys. God. Yeah. You, people, can, people can find it on, on YouTube. It's all, it, they can get it. It's easy. And um, holy shit, the, the filmmaker was Mikey Schaefer who did, worked oh, on free so yeah so mikey's fucking awesome i love him and um i will never forget this i was in the the white circle and i was about a pitch and a half below the nipple and i'm hooking up this corner and i'm trying to just get to these bashies in a corner i could see the bashies and i'm like i just need to get there and i'm hooking and mikey's hanging filming and every time i hook he goes oh man i wouldn't hook again and I'm like, fuck, dude, shut up. And he's like, no, you're good. You're fine. And uh, I'd stand on that hook and I'd get the, and, like move the other hook. And he's like, oh, God, I wouldn't hook again. And I'm like, God damn it. Shut up. <laughs> you're scaring the shit out of me. And then I got to the corner and the fuck, the first bash, he just pulled out. Like, I just like grabbed it and went doink. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. And my buddy Pete was belaying me. And he's like, you're fine. You're f it's good. You're fine. The fall's clean. And, you know, the fall's never that clean. It's like, shit. But. Then when you're done, you're like, that was kind of fun. Like, I'll do that again. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's type two fun. It's very much type two because then you do that. You're like I said, you're like, you're scared for a while and then you got to do all the work. You got to haul the bags up. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. I think every time you do something like that, you just realize you can do a little bigger, a little bigger, a little bigger. Oh yeah. Yeah. What was uh, the thing that you guys learned that uh, you did not expect from doing uh doing that, I mean, just doing that climb, trying to do Zodiac in a day. Like, you know, like you say, following, I'm like, did you have like an extra lanyard tied to your leg in case you lose it or something? So that's an amazing question. <laughs> I wish everyone asked that question when I do these. Um, so Jerem and I went to the, to, went out to the Valley the year before to, we were going to do lurking fear just as a totally disabled team. And we were three, uh, four pitches up. We went up two pitches, bivied. And then I fixed a rope up to the crux and then, and Jerem was like, I don't want to lead anything, but he's like, I'll just support everything and we'll just kind of do it as a team that way. And I was like, right on. And so I lead the crux the next morning, early in the morning. And I, it's a traverse. You go up through this thing called the window pane and then you kind of do a tension mm -hmm. and you swing over and it's a rad pitch and you can watch your second coming right up. It's super cool. And um, do, I do, do that. And I'm uh, the film, the James Q. Martin was filming at that point. James is up to my left and Jesse Huey is a good friend of mine. And Jesse's just above him. And we're all watching Jerem kind of jug this pitch. And as Jerem's jugging, he slows down a little bit. And I was like, maybe he's just like, not sure how to get the gear out right now. And all of a sudden I see his, he's an uh, AK. So that's above the knee amputee. Mm -hmm. And I'm a BK below the knee. Um, Jerem's leg falls off. The whole prosthetic <laughs> falls off, dude. And I'm like, oh shit. And it's, he had, I don't even know why he had this sling where he did. He had a, like a 20, like a two foot runner on his left side, which is where his leg is. And when it fell, the top of the prosthetic caught something on the sling and it, it held it. And so he quick grabs it with his left hand and I see him put his head <laughs> against the wall. And I looked at James and I go, I think we're done. <laughs> and he 
he's like, he's like, no, 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 he's going to rally. And I'm like, I don't know, man. When people put their head down like that, that's a, generally a bad sign. And sure enough, man, Jerem got up to me. He goes, this is fucked. He's like, I don't want to do this. I'm like, I, that's cool, man. And so we went down and kind of regrouped. And I didn't, I thought Jerem was done. He's like, I never want to go on El Cap again. And so when I talked to them the next year and the next season, um, <laughs> he was like, yeah, I'll go. He's like, I'll go. He's like, I feel bad about quitting. So he's like, I want to go back and just do it again. So he stayed between Pete. Pete, Pete and I would switch swing leads. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jeremy would jug and clean between. That's cool. That's and cool. so it was nice. Three, you know, three kind of divvies up to work a little bit more. It's I think it's a good hel- thing. I think it's hilarious that Q said that because that is something he would say. Because I've worked with Q oh, before. Oh, Q is like. He's man. Glass is half full, right? Like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, his leg just fell off Q. <laughs> he's like, no, I think he's okay. I'm like, oh, okay. Q is like the most unexpected person. Like you look at him and I'm like, oh, you, you're pretty laid back. The man will rally. The man will rally. And he is not afraid of anything. No. And he will, like you said, like he gets after it. Like, and yeah. he's just, you see him. Like, I remember I had never worked with him before. So he, the first day, like I lead the first two pitches and Q's kind of just hanging at the base. And all of a sudden he like jumps on with jugs and goes. And I was like, holy shit, that dude is like a, fucking lightning bolt dude he's just like dong 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 and first anchor boom second anchor boom and then he's just hanging waiting and jesse's same he's a beast and jesse's above him and i just remember looking at jeremy going god these guys are dialed like they are fucking dialed yeah q runs a very well oiled machine i had a chance to climb with him in indian creek and jeremy and i can't remember the name of this route i was doing um lightning or white lightning or thunder or something of another but it was this uh it was this great splitter and i remember q just getting there and i had this photo of him kicking back <laughs> and just swinging and i'm like okay it'll take you a few minutes to get up there and i'm getting ready to belay someone else while they get a quick burn on it and before we even before we even leave the ground i'm looking up and a q is like maybe a little over 50 60 percent of the oh, yeah. way up and i was like damn you can move that's q yeah. that's q he he always joked to he was like, this is his joke. So I know he wouldn't be mad at me, but he, he said, yeah, he's like, I think aid climbing is like fat kid camp. <laughs> Cause he's like, I'm he climber fat. He, he's like, I'm climber fat. And he's like, this is fat kid camp. I'm like, dude, shut off. Like, wait. But he, oh my God, he's just so freaking dialed. And he's so creative. Like, yeah. oh my God, he's oh, so he's creative. Genius. Yeah. So I, creative. I have definitely been very privileged to have him as a mentor recently for some film work that I've been trying to work and learn. And Q, the thing I like about Q is he holds no punches and he says it very tactfully Yeah, and he says it quick. So we get to the point and then yep. move on. And so, yep. And I wanted him to come back that second year. He, so he's done a lot of work with um, Fitz Cajal, who's a good friend of ours as well. Okay. I don't know this person. He does dirtbag diaries. Oh yeah. And so okay. he and Q are, so Fitz was actually kind of got me started in like the media side of climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, you know, as people have a real misconception of what pro climbers do, it's like, it's like, a job, right? It's like, yeah, I mean, it, it is. Everyone thinks it's glamorous. Yeah, Everyone thinks it's yeah. something. Well, you like just that. climb all the time. It's no, like, it's not. dude, so not that. And I, and so Fitz was like, if you want to do this as a, as a job, he's like, it's, you have to treat it that way. And so uh, that was really good because then I met Q that way. I met all the, any of the people I've worked with. It's been this, we all understand that it's a job. It's like, you know what it's like. I know mm-hmm. what, so it's, it's good to, to have people like that in your life. And so, Q is great at like, okay, if we do a film, this is how we can make things work. Like, you know, I think people, when they see climbing films, they think the person just climbs it bottom top. Everybody goes home and it's like, just so never like that. It's just, dude, it's a dog and pony show. You climb, stop, climb, stop, climb, stop. Do that again. Do that again. Do that again. You know, it's like, yeah, no, it's very much. So I have a project I'm working on here locally. Uh, There's this like little hole in the wall crag about 90 minutes away from here, bouldering. And it's got some sport climbing on it, but like for the most part, it was been kind of like adopted by Austin and DFW climbers. It was originally uh, a Jeff, uh, Jack Maletsky uh, oh, loca- wow. location. Jack put up a lot of stuff. OG I, guy. I, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Jack, Jeff, Kurt, Keith. And I don't know if Mark put up anything up there. And these are just like Texas legends. Um, but like some of the routes, like I've been replacing bolts, replacing anchors. A lot of them don't even have anchors. Locals have chopped them. And so I've like redirected <laughs> them. But I've been having this project where I was like, all right, I just I want to say that I've completely climbed out an area. Just haven't done it. That's I fine. Mean, I mean, I've yeah, gotten very close fun. into a bunch of places, but, you know, never really. And 
it has been this whole process. And I have a friend who's like taking videos of it and it was their first time, like getting on a camera and filming and doing that. I'm like, okay, cool. And like, I know what I want thinking from a director's standpoint of view. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do the shot. And then he was so surprised. Well, he and she were so surprised that they were like, I'm surprised you just never climbed the whole route. I'm like, that's not how it works. That's not, that is not Not how how it works. works. I'm like, I'm going to like do two moves. I need you to hold a camera. I want you to get like this tight focal point and then just get, get this tight. And then I just want to see this thing. And then you'll, you know, the dust will go from here and blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. I'm going to sit down and eat a sandwich for like 20 minutes and then get up and do this thing again. And then. And it's, it's, it's cool. Like, I love it. I would not trade any of it. Right. It's super cool. It's not, it's, you know, it's honestly, I, I don't know if you see it this way, but I feel like it's a very interesting side of rock climbing because you start looking at climbing it more like an artist. Yeah. Then you do yeah. just trying to get the routes done. And so like when I'm like thinking about creating this and portraying this story, I'm like, you know, it's funny. It's like, I, it's the last shot. I remember thinking when I was looking at it, I was like, I don't like this shot because I don't like the way the wall and the area right. looks. Right. And a friend of mine was like, I find that very interesting. Cause aren't you the focal point? I'm like, well, I'm worthless. If the rest if, of this, if, do- if the environment sucks, it's like, doesn't matter. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. And right. I think you start to look, at climbing like an art and it's made me have a much deeper appreciation for like, especially the work, like the access fund, different places, keeping just access in general, actually, let's just back it up and say access in general. Exactly. But you start looking at climbing in a much more holistic way. And I, go ahead. No, no. I just think it's like when you work with people like yourself or people who have that bigger lens to look through, um, whether they're climbers or not, I, I had the, I worked with uh, Jordan Manley. He's from British Columbia um, on an Arctrex project we did together. And he was like, he's not being a climber. He's just like, you know, we were actually, we did a lot of the filming in Indian Creek and then in Colorado. And he's like, these areas are so incredible as an artist. He's like, I don't, he's like to him, a split, it doesn't mean anything to him. He's just looking at it like as a palette. Oh, and I was yeah. like, oh dude, like that is so fun to like listen to him. And he's a genius with a camera. Um, same with, I worked with uh, a lot with bear cam and um, Cameron Mare and I became very good friends and did a, he did, we did a really fun film project together um, called Craig's reaction and cam the first day evolve put us together mm-hmm. and I, I knew him, but I didn't know him. I knew of him. I didn't mm-hmm. know him. And so the first day we're filming, I swear to God, I'm watching it. And I'm like, this guy does not know what's happening. Like this is going to be a junk show. And I didn't say a word. My wife and I were both like, what is happening? He seemed like he was just like not aware of what was going on. Um, he could get up and down a rope really fast, but like watching him work, I'm like, I don't understand what he sees. And I've, I've been around it enough to know not to be like, dude, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Um, that night he sends me images and I'm like, holy shit. Like this dude is so dialed. And so he is so like creative. You just, when you're watching him do it, you're like, I don't even know what the hell's happening. But then you see it and you're like, never mind, I'm good. Like yeah. you clearly know what's happening, so yeah. I'll shut up. And yeah. he, yeah. dude, he's just a rock star, just an undercover, just boom, 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 just gets it done. And it's fun to work. It's I love working with people like that because it's the whole package. It's not just like that crank this, do that. It's like, yeah. oh man, that's fun. That's how I felt like uh I haven't had a chance to work him with a ton. Um, but Mike who was a part of like what Boone Speed did early in the day with Pusher Hole. Oh, Mike Pont. Yeah, Mike. That's who I think I, when you said Mikey, I think that's who I thought you were talking about. But yeah. Then the other person, he's, he's very talented. Oh, Mike. Dude. Mike's OG. Mike's, that dude like, is I mean, like, he's, he's been around. Oh yeah. He's like, I mean, like if there's a room, he has a chair at Mount Olympus as far as I'm concerned. Hell yeah. But yeah, I've watched Mike work and like just listening to him talk and listening to him do different things. And I'm like, you have an innate ability to see a very big picture. And it's like, um, the best way I know how to script, it's like Jenga. Except yeah. Instead, he sees the whole Jenga tower together. Right. Not just that he, piece. And he has the ability to put the Jenga tower in an order that you don't really, it doesn't make sense very well. Right. But, like you, but you can see it coming together. And if you have a little bit of experience working with people, either as talent or on the back behind the camera, He's like real gifted. It was, it's been a treat to actually see him work. They're fun to be around, right? Like, and it's different. The, it is very different. And like, they're not, they're so creative and they're so technically savvy too. And it's like, 
like the, the Mikey I was referring to is Mikey Schaefer. Mikey's been a, he's an aid climber for years and then became a photographer. Oh. So he, he brought all these cool elements to it. Um, and then, you know, became, I mean, huge. I mean, when Free Solo won an Oscar, he was cinematographer, him oh, and Jimmy Chin. Okay. And so it's like, holy shit, dude. Like you watch them get rewarded for their talent too. And it's like, that's rad. Like that should happen. Um, and it doesn't always, but like it, it's fun to watch those guys do well. I, I love that. I think this is the side of climbing that really doesn't get talked about it. And it really, I don't know. It, it's just interesting to hear your perspective on it because being someone in front of the camera more often right. than not. And it's like me going back and forth. I think it's nice to know that people have an appreciation for it because I've definitely been on projects before where it's kind of like people don't understand what the person is doing with the camera. And then they feel that it's their job to interject because they don't think that they're going to portray them very well, or they don't right. think that they're going to take care of them. And then, and also I've been on the other side of it where it's like people do trust them, but they like, they can't help themselves and get involved. But like, if you just step back, you can learn. I have learned more actually probably about climbing and the craft of climbing just by being around these guys and by byproduct right. and just like, watching how intricately detailed that they have to do. Even like one of the biggest things I learned is like Mike was going to involve talking about a rig that he had to build in order to get a particular shot. And when he was explaining this way to build this, I was like, I was sitting here thinking, I'm like, this is all your years of aid climbing. This yeah. is all your years of yeah. gear, like just kind of going in. It's kind of really, it, 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 I don't know. I have a big appreciation for it. And so like I pray and I know if I stay diligent one day, I'm hoping to slide in underneath their ranks. So. Yeah. And you, and like your background is, is going to make that happen. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it's like you, I think that when you see these people do their, their art, you're like, holy shit. Like you said, it's like, it's not one thing. It's not like, oh, I can, a, I, I can a climb. Therefore I could do, they're like incredible with a camera, incredible with ropes, incredible with the ability to see the bigger picture instead yeah. of just the minutia. And it's like, damn, dude, that's amazing stuff yeah, right time. there. That is, time. that is a lot of time. A lot um, of time. And it's like, it's fun to watch, man. It's like super fun to watch. Right. <laughs> it makes it good is. films too. When you see a good film, yeah, you don't maybe don't know why it's good, but like you go, that's good. Like that's better than the other garbage out there. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think when people see something quality, they go, damn, like that's insane. So, yeah. Uh, kind of to switch gears, I'm remembering something you said in the beginning. And so we kind of ran into each other yesterday because you were doing, working with the VA. Yeah. And, um, I'd like to know a little bit more about if you are allowed to talk about it, like what you're, what you're trying to achieve with that. Um, cause most of the people, I believe most of the people who listen to this episode are in DFW area climbers and things like that. So if there's anything they can do to kind of support you. Oh, yeah. that. But, um, one thing that you mentioned to me that. I've always kind of, I don't know enough about it, but as far as like, how do you feel like climbing helps people with PTSD? So it's for me. So I have this uh, unique um, ability and, and I guess good fortune to be able to take the PTSD animal apart because I had to go through all of it. You mm -hmm. know, so me coming at it from this heavy traumatic event we all deal with PTSD for whatever, whatever that event was, you know? So it, it comes in many different shapes and forms. I think the misconception is people hear PTSD and they think like, Oh, the soldier was in a war zone and, and something happened. And it's like, not that, case. that could be the case, but it's usually not. Um, it's usually like this traumatic event that happened to, to these individuals. And so the VA specifically with PTSD, um, it became a checkable medical condition about four years ago which is insane, Whoa, dude. It was not before. It was not. So before you were treated, this goes all the way back to world war one. Um, cause then it was shell, shell shock. shock. Yeah. And so you were just like, Hey dude, like that sucks, but suck it up. Right. Like move forward. And so you had these heavy addiction issues. You had like people acting out, like not dealing with this stuff. And so the four or five years ago, the VA said, this is messed up. Like we need to address this. And so it's, it's now a disability. And so for me, going back to climbing and being in the natural world is what helped me get better. Mm -hmm. So I had a very good support network. So I had my wife, had our friends and my family. And so when you have a support network and then you have an outlet. So for me, the outlet was climbing in the natural world and being in that area as much as I could be, that made me feel more calm. 
if I wasn't in that area, I felt anxious. I felt depressed. I felt um, angry because, you know, you lose when you get hurt, you lose so, so much. And so when you get just, you know, you keep taking these hits and you're like, your body can only take so many hits. And so for me, I kept getting hit, kept getting hurt. Um, even when I was back in climbing, you know, you, I would, my stump actually right now, um, I pulled a block off in December in Puerto Rico. And when I pulled the block off, I, I came out, landed on a slab. I was about halfway up this head wall and busted the end of my stump open. Well, your body has to, it just sucks, right? Like, so then you have a cut, then you get an infection and then you have all this weird shit happen to your body. So it's like you, you're taking these hits and that, and PTSD then makes those hits feel bigger. Mm-hmm. And so then you're like not coping with it. Well, you're not dealing with it. You're getting angry. You're getting depressed. You're getting wall off. Um, and I realized early on, like, okay, if I just address it and just like, okay, why do I feel like this? What's going on mentally? Like what is actually making me feel better? And so for me, climbing was that thing that I could relax. It became a moving meditation for me. Okay. And I, as I, started to teach these clinics with the VA through this nonprofit, I started to think, okay, if I can show somebody, it might not be climbing for you, but like, let me just show you what nature can do for you. The natural world can do for you. So we're going to take you into a climbing gym first, which is how you and I met. Um, and, and that's for me to say, this is climbing, but it's not climbing. This is climbing to introduce you to this sport, baby steps, baby steps. And so we're going to, work up to taking you outside so that I hope that you can then chill out and turn your brain off a little bit. And we, we talk a lot about accessing the flow state and getting them to focus so deeply and climbing like big wave surfing, things like that, where there's high risk, high reward, you focus so fast. Oh yeah. And when you're focused, guess what? PTSD is not the thing that's in the forefront of your brain anymore. So now you're like, I, I talk about the window that they can, um, basically the window of that they can affect and it's three feet in climbing. So it's the three feet in front of you. So let's focus on that three feet because that's your area that you can affect and you can, you can positive or negatively affect that. So you can move forward and, and use those holds. And when you're doing that, and when you're in that three foot window, you're not thinking about PTSD, am I pissed off at this or blah, blah, blah. You're just dealing with that. And so it's really cool to see them use that circle of influence or that window of influence to be able to move forward and, and have a better quality of life, hopefully down the road. And that's how, that's what we do is just like, give them the, the tool to like, okay, when you're doing this thing, like let's take what we just learned in that three foot window. Let's try to apply that to our real life now. Like when we leave the climbing gym or we leave the crag, when you're so focused and you're calm, what did that feel like? And how do you then mimic that in your everyday life when your spouse or your friends or whatever, something is grinding on you? How do you uh, use what you just learned, calming your heart rate, keeping focus, don't let yourself spin. Um, if there's triggers, how, what are the, why are those triggers happening? You know, for me, the triggers were uh, the wind. If the wind would blow hard when I fell, it was a pretty windy day. So wind would trigger me. Um, the way rock feels um, when I was at the anchor, you know, Lumpy Ridge is a granite cliff, so it's pretty smooth and polished. So when I would touch smooth, polished rock, initially, I was like, oh, shit, like, that's bad. Um, you have to figure out, like, why am I being triggered by that? And triggers come in all shapes and forms. You must be avoiding rifle. Yeah, <laughs> for good reason. <laughs> so many good reasons. Um, yeah, you just start to realize, like, oh, climbing is a really cool metaphor um, yeah. for so many things. And so they can use it as, a, as just one tool in their their toolbox. Like it's not going to fit everybody. Um, and a lot of times we take them climbing, um, like living in Puerto Rico, we do all of our programs outside. Mm-hmm. So I tell them you don't have to climb, but we are going to hike together. We're going to go through the woods. We're going to get to this cliff. You can hang out and sit. That's totally fine by me. But when you're there, just be there. Like, don't, don't be on your phone. Don't be doing, don't mm-hmm. be getting so amped up. Like get so amped up. Like, let's not do that. Let's like, just like, listen, just listen to the wind, listen to the birds, listen to whatever you want. Listen to the sounds of climbing. Like that's a pretty cool sound. So let's be very, very present in what we're doing and be um, purposeful about that. And when they do that, then what we see is like, it's probably 60% of the people go, oh shit, this is pretty cool. It's like, a, like my wife and I joke, like it's, <laughs> it's not for everyone. 
but it is it is for a lot of people, right? And it's and it can be accessible for a lot of people. So that's what we that's what we work with with the VA. That Adaptive Adventures gets a VA Adaptive Sport Grant every year, so they're able to fund what we do, um, which allows us to come to different areas like this and and work with the VA locally, get them climbing, get them into the gym, and then hopefully get the uh, the veterans active. Um, the the they they tend to get a bit sedentary, um, especially as they age. I don't know why that is. Maybe that's human nature. I think that yeah, I think that's yeah. how people are. I just said that and was like, that's probably just human nature. Yeah. Um so we we hopefully give them a bit of of freedom through like being mobile again. Like, hey, let's just do something. And so get off the couch, work on maybe just like what can we do like every day to be a little bit better? And so you're not, you know, do I think they're gonna be a pro climber? No. But do I think Maybe they'll be a climber. That'd be rad. That'd Absolutely. be awesome. So yeah, that's what we do. I think it's interesting what you said about different triggers mm. because like, I guess it's funny. You talked about the, like, the smoothness as the rock of this, of that. And I'm curious, are the patrons that you work with, whether it be veterans or whoever, like, are they aware that these triggers come up or like, how do you, I, I just, I, I don't know. I just think about being a guide and I've definitely had to like, coach people through experiences and like all this stuff is coming up and I, you know, I can see what's coming up. I have no idea, but right. like, you can see it manifestation in their body. Right. Like, you see it coming You watch up. it rise. Yeah. And, um, I think that I, I guess like, is that something that always surprises people? It, it's funny. Like, so I, and this is, this just happened. So one of our veterans, um, came to a program in Puerto Rico and he's a, he's a pretty regular attendee. And, um, the day he, when I saw him at the cliff, he, he was walking up and I, in my brain, I was like, something's different. Like I could just tell something wasn't on, right. It wasn't, something was just off. And so he, he starts to climb and he is, I'm watching him just like, instead of like relaxing into it, he got more tense as he was climbing, like oh. literally where he was like pumping on holds, like, uh, and then he gets to the top. And I had a top rope set up. He climbs above the anchor. So the anchor is probably two feet below the lip of the cliff. And there were some trees on top of the cliff. And so he went above the anchor and he grabs one of the trees and he's like darting on it. And I'm like, you need to calm down. Like I'm yelling and I'm like, you need to calm down, sit down on that. Like at the top of that anchor, stop doing what you're doing. He lets go. Um, There was a, kind of a, I guess it was like a bushy thing to the left of the anchor. He rips it off the cliff and throws it down. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? So I'm like, Jason, you need to calm down and look at me. He looks at me and I said, stop, just start, stop, just start breathing. Like, just watch me, listen to my voice. And I lower him back to the ground, gets down, unties, doesn't say a word, walks back into the kind of the woods and sits down. And I'm like, what the fuck? And so kind of do the rest of the program. Jason gets up and he's like, I got to go. And he just leaves. And I was like, okay, that was really odd. And Cindy wasn't there that day. She was, I f- oh, she was visiting our kids actually. So she was gone. So um, I go home. I'm like, that's really weird. I'm talking to her on the phone about it. And my phone rings and it's Jason. And I'm like, I got to go. I'm a, I, w- I want to talk to him. So he goes, dude, I'm, I'm really sorry. He's like, I got triggered when I got there because my wife and I are going to a custody battle, my ex-wife. And he said, so when I got to the cliff, he's like, when I was walking up, he saw a kid the same age as his kid and it triggered him. So people Uh, think it's like these, like a trigger, like in the movies, like, oh, I heard a helicopter and it messed me up. And it's like, it's not like that. It's just something that relates to them personally is sets it. And then once it sets, it's going until you stop it. And so I can't stop it for them. I can help direct them and redirect them, but watching them try to navigate that. Like he just didn't navigate it. But uh, I don't know. I, it, I imagine that feeling is like rushing water in a wave or rushing water coming through a dam. You can't stop that. So like, is it a matter of them stopping it or redirecting it and turning it into like hydroelectric energy to help them do what they need to? It's redirecting. Cause, okay. you, Cause you're right. You can't, it's like stepping in front of a train. Like you, you're not going to stop. It's going to fucking run over yeah, you're you. You're not Superman. No. And so when you, what we try to do and like by me, yelling to him that stops the cycle and then you have to redirect it and like, okay, now you're going to watch me and I'm going to lower you to the ground. I thought in my brain, we would talk then he didn't want any of that. He just wanted to be alone and I get it. 
Um, but when we, he and I talked it through, then he said, you know, I just, he's like, even until I heard your voice, he's like, when I was climbing, he said, I'd never heard your voice. He's like, I never heard you talking to me when I was at the top of the anchor, when I was above the anchor. He's like, I never heard any of that until you yelled my name. And I, I mean, I talked to him for 40 feet. I talked to him, right? Like, dude, we were all over talking. Um, he didn't hear any of it. He was so triggered and so focused on his anger towards his situation. Yeah. And this makes all this PTSD stir up. Then he starts to think about his friends who died. And I mean, he has a really sad backstory with his military experience. And I'm just like, holy shit. Like you realize like PTSD is this very thick thing that people don't, they maybe just see that one piece of it, but it's such a deep, weird, complex thing. You have to like be yeah. careful. Like listening to you and a little bit that I do know of it. Cause you know, I, um, I've been having this conversation with a few other coaches and I'm getting ready. I'm doing some research and doing some homework to do. Cause I want to do this uh, series where I interview a bunch of coaches across the country. That's cool. But one of the things I want to, the first topic I want to address is like, do children have PTSD from being locked from lockdown? Cause I know four of my kids, they're not the same. Like, oh yes. Like they're, they're sweet. They're loving. They're just as funny as they are. But like, like this, level of like I just I like I can't put my thumb on it. It's like friends and enemies, lovers and haters, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation thus far. This conversation pulls on a lot of personal heartstrings. I mean, we are definitely getting into the nitty gritty definitely aspects of our jobs, our passions, you know, call it a career, call it whatever you want, but this is why we do what we do. And I hope this conversation brings as much value to you as it is bringing to me. And if it does, please follow, like, subscribe, and share, and leave a comment because all those things matter. That's how this podcast gets out there. That's how this episode gets out there. And if you really enjoy what you're hearing, check us out on our Patreon. You can join for as little as $5 a month. We try to post monthly, and we are trying to make sure we post at least three episodes a month. It's been a little rocky, definitely understand, but I'm excited to bring more episodes to you in the continuation of this conversation next week. And remember, if you're not suffering, are you even sending at all? Don't know, yo, yo.